Welcome to the New Life Millbrook Weekly Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about this podcast or other resources, please visit nlmillbrook.com. Um, so let's go ahead and, and dive into this today. Uh, on July 26, 2001, uh, I turned 18. 46 days later, after my 18th birthday, I was living in South Florida, attending my first year of Bible school, and by all accounts and recollections, everything was good. Everything was great. I was excited. I was ready to experience what God had for me. Uh, but then the next day, something changed. How many of you understand your life can change in a single day? The next day, on that 47th day of my 18th birthday, I watched two planes fly into buildings in New York. I watched one hit the Pentagon, and I watched another one crash in Pennsylvania. And I, I have heard people say they knew where they were when, they, uh, when JFK was shot, and they heard that news. And I remember the exact location where I was standing. I can show you the tile on the floor where I was standing when I saw that take place. Y'all remember that feeling? That feeling of hopelessness. That lostness feeling. The confusion that many of us dealt with of what in the world is going on. And uh, then I felt, I felt anger. You remember that feeling? Just that rage. And I remember going, I was so glad that 47 days earlier I turned 18 and if my country needed me, I was there. It was that sense of I was going in one direction, going to Bible school, going to be a pastor and do all that stuff. And with one moment, I was ready. Everything in my life had changed in that moment. And, uh, and while, thank God, that I didn't get drafted we all thought that, that was a huge possibility at that time in our lives. We didn't know what was going on. And uh, I honor the men and women who did volunteer and, and give up and do everything that they could for us. But it was, it was that moment, that defining moment where everything changed. The, the next day, I remember watching President Bush uh, standing and giving a speech. Do you remember that? And I'm sitting there watching, going, give me a name. Give me a name. That's what I want to know. I want to know, give me a name. About a week afterwards, we heard about Al-Qaeda. A couple of weeks later, we heard about a guy named Osama bin Laden. How many of you remember what President Bush actually said? But we all remember who he said. We don't remember what was said. But we remember uh, who was said. Uh, Roughly a month, and I'm sure I'm off on a little bit, a couple of weeks, uh, three weeks or so after the attack on 9-11 and and on our nation, we began launching missiles and dropping bombs. And $6.4 trillion, and 801,000 lives later, we are here. Our president gave, with his words, the death certificate of over, eight, seven, over three, three quarters of a you know, million population. This is not a political stance. These are just facts. He said, go, we went. In fact, he said, if you're not with us, you're with them. Remember that speech? Yeah, so it wasn't just us. The entire world went. 801,000 lives later, we are where we are right now. And I've often wondered what would have happened if, on the 1st of September of that same year, if the CIA would have been able to capture or kill those people. Or maybe under the Clinton administration, when they had the chance to take out Osama bin Laden. What, what would our world have looked like if, on September 11, 2001, we weren't seeing planes, but our president was saying we were going to give $6.4 trillion into cancer research? I wonder where our world would be today. And I think for me, I've realized that there is life and death on the words that we speak. Based on what he said, he convinced an entire nation and nations to send their young men and women overseas. Did anybody ever Google or research 
to make sure that it was Osama bin Laden? No. We just said, let's do it. <laughs> that was it. We went for it. And I find it interesting how within just a matter of moments, we went from everything is good in the world to I'm ready to take somebody's head off in a moment's notice. And then we get a name and then we go. Flight 93 that was on its way from Newark, New Jersey all the way to San Francisco uh, was, had the privilege, if you will, or tragedy of watching what was taking place on television. They were already hijacked at that moment as they're cruising over Pennsylvania and realized that they were not going home. They weren't going to make it. And I find it so crazy that one of the biggest heroes here uh, in, in this case is Todd Beamer, who makes up, he's talking to his wife, and he leaves the microphone, uh, he leaves the phone open, and we hear his famous words, are you guys ready? Let's roll. And with those words, he chose, and the other men and women, the flight attendants there, chose to sacrifice their life so that others could live. In that same day, words were spoken, one that brought death and destruction to 800,000, and one that saved countless. Again, pro or con, I was ready to roll. And I'm just realizing in that moment, right now, that words have so much power to give life and to give death. His words shape lives. Your words shape lives. Your words shape your actions. And when you begin to speak something, you begin to act something. Y'all notice that. Have you ever found yourself looking at a car that you really like and you see it everywhere? And you start talking about that car and you see it even more? When you start going into a direction and you start using your words, it begins to speak something into existence. And whether, here's the crazy thing. It's not when we say speak something into existence, it doesn't necessarily mean that we formed something but a lot of times, it opens our eyes to see something that was already there. It revealed what God had already provided in our lives. Have you ever been all in on something before you knew what you were all in on? Like when my friends talked to me into going to Six Flags as a teenager. And I was all in because of the food and the fun and the games and there's roller coasters and yada, yada, yada. And it's fantastic. And I was all psyched until I was on that second loop and I was about to pee myself and I regretted being all in without having the details. Have you ever been all in in something and you're like, oh, that was a huge mistake. Over the past few weeks, we've been talking about our relationship with God. Again, uh, Linda's done a fantastic job uploading, but you can, you can catch up to where we are. And last week, we kind of had this this tension. And that tension was like this. We got to this point where we're like, we're talking about God being a fixer-upper of this world and our lives. And everybody was all in. And I began to get text messages and phone calls over the next week uh, while we were at camp like, hey dude, great message, loved it, all in, have no idea what I'm supposed to do. Have you ever felt like that? Like you're all in, but you have no idea what's next? You hear a message and something stirs up inside of you, and you're gung-ho, but you have no idea what your next steps are? So today, we're going, to be, we're going to be walking through that just a little bit. We're going to talk about one of our, our steps to be all in. And so uh, we're, going to, we're going to dive all in. Um, and so let's go ahead and, and, and walk through this one. Uh, I first got married, I got a, I got a toolbox. Some of you, this is not the toolbox. I already got this for me because I didn't have one. Um, and you get a toolbox. And maybe some of the guys can recognize this, but I'm just going to be honest. Like, I'm not a handyman. At all. Like, at all. And so I realized I was getting married, and everyone's like, here's tools. And I felt like a man. <laughs> but I had no idea what I was doing. So somebody, I think it was actually uh, <laughs> Orlando, got me this book, Fix It Yourself. And uh, I realized it was really thick, so I called Dad. Because <laughs> I wasn't going to fix it myself. And, and, I, and I found myself, like this past week, we're kind of walking through this, and I'm talking about this message and where we've been going. And I realized we can't just keep the tension of ambiguity of what's next without giving direct tools. All right, you guys ready? So let's go through a, a, at least one of the big tools that we're going we're gonna to do to do this fixer-upper. How many of you understand when Christ left and went to heaven, he didn't just say deuces and, and, and fly out? 
He didn't say, my job's done, tag your it. Hope it's all okay. Because he didn't come, oh, he didn't come to die. The Bible says, I came to seek and save all that was lost. His job was the continuization after he left to multiply in this earth people that could do the rest of this job. So here we go. We're going to open up our handy dandy toolbox. That and that. Ah. Sorry, that was loud. But what we have right now, we've got some tools here that we're going to walk through. We're probably going to get to one today because it's going to be probably the largest one for us all to walk through. And as we're going through this, how many of you understand that when the Holy Spirit came, and this is not a fun topic for many people. Can you hang this over there? This is not a fun topic for churches in America, but God and Christ knew that we couldn't be left alone. We could not be left alone. Have you ever realized that with your kids, that they cannot be left alone? You can say, hey, I need this and this done, and they're all in as they're watching cartoons, and you realize really quickly that was a horrible mistake. They cannot be left alone. God knew that we were children, and we could not be left alone. He knew that, and he sent us, and this is unpopular, the Holy Spirit, so that we could do all the things that was asked of us to do. I want you to understand that while he gives us tools in our tool chest, it is the Holy Spirit which is the belt that holds it all together. It is the Holy Spirit that gives us the access to be able to carry every single thing and to access it according to his word. And as we are going through this, if you don't currently have a relationship with God and have the Holy Spirit, everything you do after that is going to be a self-help book. Come on. The Holy Spirit is the hinge pin of everything good after the cross. Other than that, we might as well just start going straight for Hinduism, for uh, going through the lives of Confucius, listening to good teachings, going to self-help seminars, because you can't help yourself. Have you ever found out that when you try really hard, you do good for a couple of days or maybe a week or so, but you find yourself in a spot that you realize you're right back where you started? Has anybody else been that? Because the Holy Spirit's job is to go into this place to help us not only access the tools, but to learn from them and to use them. And so the very first thing that we're going to talk about is this hammer. How many of you realize, and I realize now because people are making fun of me, I say how many of you realize way too much. How many of you realize I say how many of you realize? Uh, we're going to be talking about a hammer. Uh, I am great with a hammer. What I'm great at is putting holes in walls with a hammer. Hammers are unique because they are used to frame up a house and they're used to tear down a house. This one tool carries within itself the ability to build and destroy. Your tongue is this hammer. Your tongue is the equivalent every time you grab a hammer, you make a decision, am I going to frame something or am I going to put a hole in something? Every time you open your mouth. In fact, the wisest man who ever lived said it like this, there is life and death and the power of your tongue. What you talk about brings life or brings death. I know I'm at new life, right? Come on, somebody. This is, we're getting into some nitty gritty stuff today. And I think for me, I have, we've taken the tongue, we've taken our words and watered it down to a couple of lines that we print off and that we we, we, we put on our mirrors, and then we'll, we'll chant these things a couple of times. And if I say this verse five times today and five times tomorrow, I will have a plant on Thursday. If I gave you a book of spells and incantations and you decided to try that out, that would be called what? So without the Holy Spirit and we're just trying to conjure up something, what are we doing? Does anybody know what the Bible's definition of witchcraft is? Huh? Nope. Huh? 
No, in fact, we see it in Samuel. This is in my notes, but I don't remember it's first day. Saul is messing up big time. Big time. Samuel makes this statement. Don't you know that manipulation is witchcraft? And yet we're sitting here so many times, yours truly included, trying to manipulate God to do what I want him to do when I want him to do it. And how is that not different? Our hammer, our tongue gives us life and it gives us death. But can I tell you, it's not just about saying something without having the power. And that's why I keep going back to living a life full of Holy Spirit is a life that gives us the ability to swing the hammer in the right direction. And I feel like there's a lot of great, wonderful churches that have been embarrassed about our tool belt. They're embarrassed to talk about it because they can't explain it in five points. You know what's great about the Holy Spirit? He does what he wants. You know what's horrible about the Holy Spirit? He does what he wants. You ever had that kid that does what they want? Hi, Mom. Picture God doing that. And there you go. He doesn't fit into a little cute box. And that was what was so unique about us going to youth camp this past week was people would ask questions like, why did that happen? And I'd go, I don't know. I have no, no clue. No clue. But I like patterns. I like predictability. Does anybody else, you feel that? I like that. It's like, it would be fantastic for me if I could read uh, the story of, of Joshua and you know how he walked around Jericho seven times and he did that and the walls fell down and they destroyed the city, that every single time I had an issue with something, I could just walk around it seven times and it would go away. How many times did that happen? Once. How many times did, did Jesus walk on the water and Peter saw him and walk out there with him? How many times do we see literal flames of fire in Acts chapter 2? So, if he only does that one time, why do we think that it has to be that way always? Do you get that the first time that they said, hey dude, we were up in the upper room? Things got crazy. John had fire on his head. And he starts speak, speaking, I'm guessing it's Chinese or something, that they went, that's not scriptural. Where's that in the Old Testament? Because he, he was doing a new thing. We all love the verse that, behold, he's doing a new thing as long as it's a new thing that we can understand. And so when we get into this mindset right now that our words have power, it's, but do they really? Do, do they really have power? Does it, is it something that's that big of a deal? Your words bring life or bring death. I, I don't need the Holy Spirit to get in shape. I don't. I, I can choose what I eat when I eat it. I can choose when I work out and how much I do. I can get in shape all by, I can do it all by myself. But James 3 tells us this, in a nutshell, that you can't change your tongue by yourself. Have you ever gone on a positive speaking kick? For the next, next two weeks, only good things. Only, I only speak positive things. That's what I'm going to do. I'm bound and determined. Like day three comes on. Sorry, 30 minutes later. Um, and you're about to strangle somebody on the side of the road. I don't deal with road rage until I decide that I'm not going to deal with road rage. Now, I'm getting, can I throw myself under the bus hard? 
this is not good. I'm getting ready for youth camp, y'all. I have been praying and seeking God. Mind you, the past four weeks I've been speaking here on Sundays, or three weeks, whatever it's been, talking about relationships vertically with God and to the world. And on my way to pick up our vans to youth camp, I have this brilliant idea that I need coffee. And I get on my trusty app, and I order my coffee so that it's ready when I get there. And it tells me it will be ready in 10 minutes. Where do you think I was in 10 minutes? There. And when I opened up the door, all of the Tri-County area was in that store. And I went, whew, that's a lot. And I walked up to the counter and kind of moved. I mean, when I tell you I've never seen so many people in this coffee shop, like it was, it was unbelievable, unbelievable. And so I, moved, I have to like squeeze through people to get to the front and I look down and I realize in that moment, my coffee's not here. And they have taken all of the mobile orders and lined them as far as they can into three separate rows and then stacked them on top of each other because there's that many mobile orders on top of the drive-thru and the people there. Now, the coffee shop girls, the baristas, were working nonstop. Their fingers to the bone. They were not sitting there texting their boyfriends. They were breaking a sweat. And I sat there for 10 minutes, and then 20 minutes, 30 minutes. 45 minutes later, after my coffee's supposed to be ready, yo, I was good. I'm watching them do the best they can. Me yelling at these poor girls weren't going to do any good. They were working their fingers to the bone. <laughs> and then after I had been sitting there for 45 minutes, so it's been almost an hour now, in comes this lady. And this lady opens the door as if she is the coffee queen. Have you ever met somebody or not meet somebody, but you make eye contact with somebody and you instantly want to punch them in the face and they've never done anything wrong to you? Can I get a witness? Like, they have that face you want to punch. I don't know why I'm getting late. I'm a feminist. I said we hit up. No, I'm just playing. Uh, it, it is, it is, I'm, I'm sitting there the entire time going, she walked in and she came sashaying through and then says, excuse me, and starts pushing people out the way. And I was like, well, that's mistake number one. So I knew it was going downhill quick. Matt, I knew it. And I knew I was supposed to just, I didn't have to go to the bathroom, but I knew I just needed to, to isolate. You need to isolate yourself from the people that are going to cause you to sin. I did not listen. And I walked up, and she walked up, and she leans over the counter, and she goes, excuse me, where's my coffee? I did it on the app. And I'm like, Phew. Ma'am, I'm so sorry. We've got flooded. Our app hasn't updated. Well, how is that my fault? And so she starts going off on this little girl. And she goes, I ordered it. It said 10 minutes. It's been 12. I looked, and every single person instantly needed to tie their shoe. They're all just staring at the ground. I'm like, you cowards. So I said, hey, ma'am, we're all waiting for the same thing. They're doing the best they can. And that was supposed to be the end of it. And then, and then she snapped at me. Yo, I love Jesus, but I will say something quick to somebody who could. Uh, uh, listen. Huh. I told y'all last week that both my daughter and I have the ability to see into people and instantly see what the good, the bad, the ugly. And I, in that moment, I saw all her insecurities from high school all the way through. Did I speak life? No, I did not. I didn't cuss her out because I don't need to cuss to tear somebody down. So I opened my mouth because she shot at me. I didn't say I did I was wrong. And I said what I had to say. And she, moment, I have never seen her go, that lip pulled back. And she just forgot about her coffee. And she walked up to the restaurant. And I turned to look at people. And everyone's still trying to tie their shoes. <laughs> and to be honest, 
I felt really bad. To be even more honest, I really didn't. Because I watched that barista go, thank you. I'm like, you're welcome. And I got a free gift card. <laughs> Listen. I'm, I didn't speak life to that lady. I ripped her to shreds. And the worst part is, I don't yell. In a very calm, monotone voice, I tell her everything that she is. It did not bode well for her. I got out of the coffee shop with my coffee and my gift card. Shonda's there waiting. She goes, God, that took a while. I said, not a word. I would like to tell you I took the high road, but I didn't. I would like to tell you that there was a spirit of David that came upon me, like when he ridiculed Goliath. But she wasn't a Goliath. I made a call to shred somebody instead of bring life to somebody. And I realized in that moment that it is not my job to determine who lives and dies by my words. I watched her come in thinking that she was walking in high cotton to with one phrase that I spoke to her made her feel that she was scum of the earth. Justified or not, that's not my job. I used my words to destroy. I could have changed it. I didn't have to say what I said. I could have let her do her rant, let her walk out. Could have went to the barista and said, hey, hey, I know we've all been waiting. Go ahead and let her go before me. I could have let her leave and then edified the barista, but I didn't. I used my hammer to destroy that lady. And in that moment, I had to realize that many of us do the exact same thing on a regular basis. We are making judgment calls on who lives and who dies. On the fly. She made it the worst day of her life. And she exploded at the wrong time with the wrong person in the coffee shop. I didn't take that into consideration. I didn't take her story. I didn't ask why she was so upset. No, I made a judgment call and executed. And if you've ever been on the receiving end of that, I'm sorry, but that was not pretty. So if you're taking notes real quick, write three letters. Y, O, U. Put a space because each letter means a word. Y, O, U. The Y is yourself. The words we use against ourselves and for ourselves are huge. And when I tell you to talk about yourself, I don't mean that I am nice, I am pretty, I am handsome. I'm not, I'm not talking about that. Because when you find the word that's reflecting who you are, it's not your words, it's him. So when I say talk to yourself, I'm telling you to talk to yourself about what he said about you. Not about what you say about you. Let me read off a couple of them. Let's see if Tyler can keep up because it's going to be fast and furious. First Peter 2.9 says that you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people of his own possession. First Corinthians 3 says you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you. Galatians 4.7 says you are no longer a slave but a son, and if a son, an heir through God. Second Corinthians 5 says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is past. Behold, all things new. I no longer call you slaves in John 15, 15, but I call you servants for a servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. And then there's Deuteronomy 28. If Deuteronomy 28 doesn't get you excited, I don't know what will. Because this is what he says. You will be blessed in the city and blessed in the field. 
The fruit of your womb will be blessed. The crops of your land and the young of your livestock, the calves of your herd and the lambs of your flock, your baskets and your kneading through will be blessed. You will be blessed when you come in and you will be blessed when you go out. The Lord will grant that the enemies who rise up against you will be defeated before you. They will come at you from one way and have to flee in seven ways. The Lord will send a blessing on your barns and everything you put your hands to. The Lord your God will bless you in the land that he is giving you. The Lord will establish you in his holy place, in his holy people, as he promised you on oath. And if you keep the commandments of the Lord your God and walk in his ways, then all the people of the earth will see that you are called by the Lord and they will fear you. The Lord will grant you abundant prosperity in the fruit of your womb, the young of your livestock, the crop of your ground, the land that he swore to your forefathers to give you. Verse 12, the Lord will open the heavens, the storehouse of his bounty to send rain on your lands in the seasons and to bless all the work of your hands. You will lend to many nations, but will borrow from none. And the Lord will make you the head and not the tail. If you pay attention to the commandments of the Lord that I give you this day and carefully follow them, you will always be above and not beneath. That's what he says about you. When you speak about yourself, you don't speak your words. You speak his words. His words have life. They're full of life. And I think that's the thing that we're looking at, is instead of trying to manipulate God into something, speaking these words to remind you of who you are. Because as long as I am just a low-down, dirty dog who's worth nothing and can't do anything, and that is what it is, I am who I am, I will never move past myself. We talked about staying in our special room last week that was safe and protected. And this is where so many of us are, is that we stay in our little room safe and protected because we don't move past you. If you can't speak life to you, how will you speak life to somebody else? It's not selfish that you remind yourself of who you are. The world needs the sons and daughters of God to be revealed. In fact, it says that they are crying out for it. Remind yourself of what he says that you are. The O is others. I don't like calling people saved and unsaved. They create an us and them thing. And while there's no doubt that there are people who are away from God... A lot of times we find ourselves as the older brother in Luke 15. That the prodigal son comes home and then God gets excited, the dad gets excited, and we're like, what about me? I have been here. They were there. It's an us and them. What do you say about others? A couple of verses real quick that you need to write down. Matthew 18, 18 through 20. 2 Peter 3, 9, and Mark 11, 22 through 24. The Bible says that whatever you bound will be bound. Whatever you loose will be loose. What are you speaking over them? What are you binding on other people? What are you loosing on other people? Are they always going to just be the world? Are they always going to be somebody else's problem? They're just a bunch of sinners. They're just a bunch of bad people. They're just a bunch of drug addicts. They're a bunch of alcoholics. They're a bunch of bad people. They're those people over there. Oh, my word. As long as it's those people over there, oh, my word, it's never my responsibility. But if I start looking at somebody and calling them out for who they really are supposed to be, it changes how I feel towards them. The majority of Americans, especially here in the South, don't need to be reminded that they have problems. Carling, it wasn't that long ago when you turned your life around. Did you go like, I had no idea? No. We knew. We all knew. We all knew we were messed up. I I don't know of anybody that I've met personally that goes, there's a person named Jesus? Who is this person? Overseas, sure, but here? People kind of get the idea. 
And just like I was in Starbucks, I spoke to who that lady currently is, not who she's supposed to be. And a lot of times we create this with our words. We use the cross not as a bridge, but as a hammer to beat somebody over the head with. And we want to be spiritual because we use scripture in verse. But the whole idea is, are we speaking life to somebody? We never ignore the power of sin. But we do need to look at the power of love and God's grace in their life. (laughs) Have you ever noticed that kids say things when they're not supposed to? You've been in the grocery store, maybe Walmart, and you see somebody who has a, a disability or a deformity of, of some sort. Did you ever walk up to them like somebody who was a burn victim and be like, man, do you see something's wrong with your face? They kind of knew. They were there. But we do that. You know you're a messed up individual, right? They're like, yeah, I was there. My daughter turned eight yesterday. Three or four years ago, we're walking to the store. And this lady comes to walk past us. Cannot believe I'm telling this story. This lady walks up past us. And my daughter speaks. You ever been in the store with your kids and you, you see somebody before your kids do and you go down an aisle and you don't need to go down just to avoid that individual? Y'all know what I'm talking about? Because your kid is going to say something. They're going to say something because you thought it. But they don't have that stop filter. This time, I didn't see it coming. And we're walking, uh, pushing her through the store. And this lady goes to pass us. And McKenna goes, oh, you got a big old booty. And the lady stops and looks at me. What, What am I supposed to say? No, you don't. Or, I mean, she's got a point. What if she likes or doesn't like? I, I, I have no idea the rules of engagement in this thing. And I'm like, I mean, you wanted some candy. And I just pushed her away. She just says it. That's what she did. Speaks it out. She saw it. Her brain goes, that's abnormally large. I I need to say something. Maybe they don't know. She was three. Y'all are 40, 50, and 60 doing the same thing. She spoke because she's a kid. Kids learn to communicate with their mouth before they ever learn how to walk. And a lot of times in our walk with Christ is we get saved, but we never mature. And we're still calling things out as if we're three years old, but we've been in the faith for 30. And we wonder why people are so afraid of the church because we're just walking around and be like, oh yeah, you've got problems. Oh yeah, you've got sin. Oh yeah, I can see that you're a bad person. Drugs, alcohol. Oh, you're a whore. And we're just, they're like, oh. As if we're going to hit him with the hammer and go, I didn't know. Should have had a V8. Thank you for telling me I had problems. I didn't know that there was. It's one thing. You had food on your face and you didn't know. This wasn't an accident. They just realized. It's not like Savannah finding out that she had a freckle on her arm. We're driving down the road. She goes, y'all see this freckle? I've had it my whole life. Really? You're pretty. I let it slide. But y'all, Nathan had my back. He said what I was thinking, and I've never been more proud. No, it was one of those things where we were looking at people going... Oh, I'm doing, I am speaking truth in love. How many have heard that statement before? 
Truth and love, really? Is that what we've been doing? The Bible tells me that love casts out fear, so why are they afraid of your truth? Probably because it's not dripping in love. If people are afraid of your words, it's because you don't speak love. And this is where we find ourselves. Well, I, I, I'm, I've heard this and I've said this. I, how'd your meeting go, people? Well, I told them what they needed to hear. Well, are they in church? No. You know what I probably end up doing? Do some salt in the wound. Do some salt in the wound. And I've realized now in life that when people say we need to talk or I want to meet with them because I'm concerned, that most of the time, if I just talk about the goodness of God in their lives and where I see them going in life in a very positive sense, most of the time they'll be like, hey, time out, <laughs> glaring issues. And I go, let's talk about it. But there's so many people in this world on the others aspect that are so afraid of the church because they're tired of getting smacked in the head with their words. And we're just walking around. I'm doing this for Jesus. Jesus loves me. He doesn't like you. That's what they're hearing. I am good. You're one of the others. We talk differently here. How about this? We talk differently here amongst family. You ever notice that? You talk differently with your family than you do about other people. You get away with things with your family that you don't get away with other people. I can have hard conversations from this stage or with you one-on-one because we have relationship to have that. It's called, can you build a relationship that's strong enough to bear truth and love? But if you don't have that bridge, don't burn it for somebody else that's, built, that's building it. I've seen this person in my life where I've been building a bridge of relationship with somebody. Speaking life, speaking love, speaking truth. And somebody else decided that they saw my bridge and they decided they wanted to try to walk on it. But it wasn't for their weight. And they tore my bridge to the ground. And that person said, you know what? If that's the faith, I'm out. I just met that person. They told me how bad I am. That God's mad at me. That I'm doomed to hell. Look, it's a little coffee holder. That's my kind of tool belt. And what we're realizing in life, I gotta get one of these. And what we're realizing is that a lot of times in our personal lives is that we are being more destructive than constructive. And it never shines brighter than when we're with other people. Because if I can't see that I'm a son or a daughter of God, and I see my issues. You see your issues. We know that. We see that. But we also have to see the world is worth saving. And the only way they're going to be saved is through the love of God. Ever notice how Jesus reacted to sinners? Versus how he reacted to church people? See, the church people want the exact opposite. They want us to be nice and nice to each other and throw stones at them. And Jesus looked at them and said, You're the, you know who your daddy is? The devil. Not to the sinners. To the pastors. To the preachers of that day. Your father is Lucifer, Beelzebub. That's harsh. Not those stones of that lady. I'm going to love her into the kingdom. Zacchaeus, come down. I'm going to hang out with you tonight. He was known as the friend of sinners. Not because he was engaging what they were engaging with, but because he loved them through the process. Remember his encounter with Peter, who was a fisherman? We know for sure that he at least met Peter three times before Peter ever followed him. On the third account, he looks at Peter and says, 
I'm no longer going to call you Simon, but Peter. You're going to be a fisher of men. Peter leaves his nets. He didn't look at him and be like, I'm God. How many more chances do you want? Every time he just speak positive things over Peter, he built life, speak life, speak life. I know who you are, Peter. I know who you're supposed to be. You see a Simon, you're a dirty fisherman, but I see a mountain. You see a Simon that's out there cussing and drinking and doing their thing, I see the cornerstone of the church inside of you. And this is where we find ourselves with our words, building up and tearing down. Last one is the you is us. We, as a body, have to guard what we say to each other. I have never in my entire life been hurt by words more than a family member than a stranger. Can anybody else relate to that? And a lot of times it's because when it's our words negative towards each other, it's rejection. It's an abandonment issue of relationship. Because when we get into relationship with each other in church, it's hard for us. It's like youth camp. This is the greatest thing. After day two, three, four, we knew who took showers and who didn't. Because like Lazarus, they stinketh. And I could look at them and be like, but we've been here together for a week. Just try some soap. They look at me, I'm like, I just want you to know, man, like, I love you enough to tell you you're better than this. And I know we're having a lot of fun, and I know things are getting crazy, and I know things are wild, but please remember that you have the ability to do this, and you need to do it. Yeah. I could have looked at him like, oh my gosh, you smell like garbage, and embarrassed him in front of everybody. That wouldn't have been truth and love. But here's what we do. Elaine's having an issue. Hey, everybody. So, Elaine, we're here to tell you you're horrible. But we love you. All of your issues that you ever have, we all see them. And each one of us want to tell you one-on-one what we think about you. And at the end of it, we're going to pray. I've been a part of those meetings. The chair in the middle. When the leadership and the, 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 the people want to circle around you to tell you how bad you are, and then they want to wrap it up with a prayer. And you're sitting there the entire time going, you know me better than this. Do you all know what an accountability partner is? It's not somebody who looks at you and goes, let me see your phone. What music are you listening to? I saw you the other day at the movies. Was it a PG movie? Hmm? Accountability means giving account for one's ability, not beating them down for their mistakes. And we use our words to build up each other. In fact, the Bible says, don't you know that we all, though many, are one body? Many members, one body. And before this church ever changes the Tri-County area, we have to be one body. We have to be of one word and one mind. And that is that this, that we will honor Christ by honoring each other. We will honor our relationships more than getting it off my chest. That I will look to somebody else and I will build them up instead of constantly using my words to tear them down. That when I look at somebody, I will pray for the goodness of God inside of them, even though all I see right now is the dirt. That when I go through Scripture and I start finding verses about who they can be, like Deuteronomy 28, I'll claim that over their lives, even though it's not a reality of where they are right now, because I believe in them. Because that's what family's supposed to do. 
family rallies around somebody. 2020 was a horrible experience in my personal life. It was out for the world to see. This church, no one was okay with what happened. No one high-fived me. You know what you did? Bad move. But we love you. And you loved me enough to stay what's happening today. You've loved me enough. And whether you've said things on your own or not, that's between you and Jesus. But to me, loved. And that is the exact moment of what we are supposed to be doing every single day amongst our family members of the faith. Is looking at them going, I believe in you, even when you don't. I can tell you times Elaine pulled me aside and goes, you're better. Don't stop. Keep pushing. Keep pushing. Keep pushing. I know you got some nasty calls. I know you've had some nasty text messages. I know you've had people just completely shred you publicly. But don't give up. Because I'm not giving up on you. She told me that. When I want to quit, somebody else didn't. You remember the story of Moses when they're in the, in the fight and his arms are getting tired. He had people to hold his arms up so they could win. And that's what family is supposed to do. We're supposed to use our words to look at a rusty and hold his arms up when he feels like he needs to quit. We're supposed to see somebody on the edge and not be like, yep, yep, they don't have enough faith. No, we rush in with our faith and hold their arms up because we believe in their victory as much as we believe in our own victory. And we're going to use my words to help Matt, even when Matt has no words for himself. And I'm going to go to a Rusty, and I'm going to speak life to him, because I know there's going to be a day that his arms are tired, and I'm going to let him know he's not alone. And we see you, even though your arms are shaking, and even though you know you're about to fall, and even though you're about to quit, and even though all these things, I see you, and I'm here for you. I'm not going to look at you and be like, oh, ye of little faith. I'm going to look at you and go, I got you. When you can't pray for yourself, I'm going to pray for you. When all you see, is your, you see is your failures, I see your victories. I see who you can be even when you can't. That's what the you is supposed to be in us. That's what the world will see. I need to be part of that family. In the next 10 years, the church is not going to grow because of lights. We're not going to grow because we add five more guitars on stage. It's not going to grow because I cut down our message times to 15 to 20 minutes. It's not going to grow because we do something crazy like giveaways every single day. It's going to grow when the world goes, they've got something that no one else has. And you know what they have? This tool belt called the Holy Spirit. And that Holy Spirit speaks life and love to everybody that comes in. Because the Bible tells us that no man comes into the Father unless first drawn by the Spirit of God. And when they're coming in, are we beating him over the head? Are we saying, come home, I'm going to build you a place that you can be healed, that you can be restored, that you can experience life, that you can be helped through? Are we going to build something or are we going to tear it down. And the first thing that we have to realize is that our words have power. And I promise you, I promise you, if it's not today, it'll be in the next 48 hours. You will have an opportunity to build or destroy. I promise you. And we have to make that call now. What am I going to do with my words? I'll never forget, I was 28 years old. I was uh, an associate pastor down in Florida. And I had one of those big, hard conversations with somebody that I felt like I needed to have. I needed to have it because all I was trying to do, to be very frank, I thought I was the right thing, hindsight. A lot of times the church doesn't want to get close to people who are messing up because they're afraid that their sin's going to jump on them. So we build walls of separation so we can become more holy. And it's appear holy. And I did that. And I watched them crumble. And I said, that's the conviction of the Holy Spirit. And it wasn't. Not at all. Because they watched somebody that's supposed to be a man of God use his words to just 
I beat him over the head with the Bible. And they walked away. So we fast forward to my life. And I experienced the exact same thing. I experienced people that knew who I was as a person. Is it okay if I'm this vulnerable? Is that all right? Who knew who I was as a person decided to make one decision, my new life story, and felt like they were going to become spiritual and that God would be more happy that they would throw stones and distance than coming around me going, come on, dude. I'm here for you. Get up. Get up. We love the passage that says a good man falls seven but gets up eight until it's about somebody else. We love it about myself. Oh, man, grace, mercy. I need it. You need it. Yeah, yeah. Until something happens and I go, nah, enough's enough. Enough's enough. Why do we think that we get that call? That we go, hmm, you've used enough of God's grace. No more. No more. Why is it that we feel like we are on the, 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 the judge's chair hearing cases of who gets to live and who gets to die? Have you ever seen those shows and thought how you would be if you were the judge? I have. If I was the judge, I would have said this or I would have done that. And that's exactly what we do all day, every day. We sit with our gavel in hand every day and somebody walks by and we listen and we watch them and go, guilty. Next. Oh, you're my friend? I'm going to chew you out, but I'll give you some mercy. You know what? I've been looking for a moment to, to crucify you. Guilty. I don't like you. Guilty. And we begin to use our words as judgments and decrees, not realizing that we ourselves are responsible for every word that falls out of our mouth. That's what the Bible says. Every word you're responsible for. And before we can ever look at that and and measure that based on faith versus doubt, whether or not we're measuring that on our, our profession, we have to find ourselves able to see the love in people and watch our words on the people that we do see every day before we start speaking about the unseen every day. Because many of us aren't ready for that. If my dad gave me this hammer and said, hey, here's some nails. Go build something. Can I tell you what I'm going to build? A misshapen square. That's as best as I can do. But as he works with me, I understand more. And I get more responsibility. And more responsibility. And more responsibility. And we're wondering why we're confessing and we're claiming and we're believing things that aren't happening because God's going, I'm not giving you that power. You speak that over that person? If I gave you more ability with your words, whew. So let's pause today and ask ourselves what we're doing with our hammer. And we'll pick up from there. Father God, I just thank you. I thank you, I thank you that you have given us tools, that you have given us grace, that you've given us love, that you've given us eyes to see. But God, let us right now pause on the things that we see easily and begin to claim and speak forth the things that are more difficult for us to see. Love in ourselves, not because of who we are, but because of who you say that we are. We cannot find love without Holy Spirit. So Holy Spirit, we surrender our lives to you. That, God, we can see other people, see the world as you see them. Not as nails to be beaten into a wall, but, God, as sons, future sons and daughters, the pre-saved. That, God, that we see each other with love and grace. That we use our words to edify, to build up, not to destroy. And, God, I just think that as we walk out of here, that there will be chances over the next day, week, and that we remember And that even if we start beating somebody over the head, we pause and go, with our words, 
I need to make that right and apologize. Father, let our hearts be sensitive with this tool today. In your name, amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. Have a great week.